I just think the first question should be not how do we go out of our way to allow you to affirm your gender, but actually figure out what what else is what's going wrong actually, yeah. and actually help a kid who might be in need of help that we're not able to give them because we've fallen prey to this ideology that says that the affirmation of that whim is the end all be all of what the role of an adult is, let alone now then going to the next level of actually adults creating that very doubt in the minds of of young children. Hey, Joyful Warriors. So if you had told me uh, two years ago that I would be sitting in Washington, D.C. about to interview um, a gentleman running for president, I think, I don't know what I would have said. I I think I would have said, no way. That's uh, okay. Let's do it. Um, And now we're actually doing it. So Vivek Ramaswamy, um, welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast. It's such an honor to have you here. Uh, You're talking about the things that Americans are really concerned about. Thank you. And I think I'm concerned about him too. Yeah, and and it shows. And um, I think one of the things in getting ready to talk to you, I was kind of you know reading some articles, and I uh, came across an article where you were asked a question recently, and you didn't know the answer, mm-hmm. and um, you admitted when you didn't know the answer, yeah. and then you said, you know what, there's a lot I don't know, mm-hmm. and so I want to start doing these policy briefings. Yeah. So tell me, and you said you're going to share it's what you learn. One of the core, there's a lot of things we're doing different in this campaign, but one of the things I've actually learned very early on is the way things are supposed to work in a presidential campaign normally is that you get a quick rushed briefing behind closed doors. You have three or four people give you the bullet points. You learn them, learn how to pronounce the words, et cetera. And then you go out to the public and you project like you've known that all your life. Right. It's, it's false. We're all right. human beings, right? right. We, we, we're not born with innate knowledge in domain areas that we've never lived in. And so I think it's much more, if I were a voter, I would find it much more, and I am a voter, I would find yeah. it much more useful if I understood how a candidate learned. Right. That's much more important than what they already know. And sure. so, yeah, am I an expert on, on things, some things in the world? Yes, most of us are. Yeah. But am I an expert on everything? No, I'm not. And, and, you know, I think that there's a lot that I will, that I or anybody running for president is going to have to learn in order to do that job effectively. I'd rather own that, be transparent yeah. about it. Let's get it taped, put it out in the world. And so, so we're trying to, five days a week in Columbus, actually do those briefings. And it's also... It's also good discipline, just in terms of time management, because I think one of the things, I'm only nine days into this, but if, I, if I've learned anything, it's that the schedule will just fill up with all the things that you need to do, but the thing that gets the short end of the squeeze is actually learning, yeah. is actually taking the time to actually learn the things that you will need to know, not only to win the election, but more importantly, to be a successful president. Yeah. And so this is a forcing function. So that's one of the things we're doing differently. I think we're starting it next week or the week after. It'll be the equivalent of like, oh, we're hoping to ramp into like a daily, what will be a podcast, but wow. it's really nothing more than just my briefings for the world to see. That's awesome. And yeah. I'm really excited to learn with you. Yeah, and, exactly. And to be fun. see how you like to learn. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tina and I served as school board members, and it's a job that you kind of have to learn as you're doing it, but you mm-hmm. still have to make decisions. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can't just say, like, oh, I don't know enough about this, so I'm going to. No, you, you better educate yourself, right? Right. Yeah. And so, you know, you're doing the job and you're learning, and, and I just give you a lot of credit for, you know, doing it in this way transparently, transparently and then letting America see that. So thank yeah. you very much for that. I'm I'm excited. We'll yeah, start, I'm start excited too. Week. So, um, 
your parents were immigrants. That's right. Here, yep, uh, to America, and um, I read that you traveled back to India when you were a child. As a kid, yeah, we had my grandparents still were alive then, and it was an important part of our upbringing. To I mean, family as the foundation for life was just ingrained into our upbringing, and that included our immediate nuclear family, but it also included our grandparents as well. And so my dad was very particular that we would go back especially when we were, you know, first grade, second grade, through maybe sixth, seventh grade, to the village where he grew up, understand that, you know, we lived a a middle class. We weren't rich in America, but we were, you know, squarely middle class. But that was a very first world lifestyle in contrast to when we were talking about the early and mid 90s in a southern Indian village. That was not first world. And, and, And he it was very important for him that he understood that we didn't take the things that we had for granted because he didn't have them taken for granted in his life either. And so, you know, it was, it was a, it was different than what, what a lot of my classmates did in the way they spent their summers. Right. But it was, it was an important part of our upbringing. Yeah. And how did India change over the time that you were there? Because I think it changed a bit. Oh, dramatically. I mean, now you go back, I mean, the places that we visited in the nineties, I mean, even those same places, they don't exist, right? right? Modernity, you know, pizzas, you know, cold water that you can get without having to boil it three times before drinking it, toilets you sit on. I mean, this, it's, 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 you know, not so dissimilar to, you know, a, a Western lifestyle or something close to it. Right. But, but what happened in India was in many ways it was, you know, there's the Chinese version of this, which is a separate story, but the Indian version of it is it's, it's mostly a, mostly a good tale of capitalism of how the spread of capitalism to a country lifted up did what does what capitalism does. It's the best known system known to mankind to lift people up from poverty. Right. But it's also a system that brings people together across different, you know, ethnic divisions. In India, I mean, there's at least 14 different languages spoken. There's all kinds of social hierarchies and social models. I mean, different right. religious. It's a multi-ethnic society. Christian communities, Muslim communities, Hindu communities that have had their fair share of strife. And capitalism was one of those one of those things that brought people together in common cause. Right. It's actually part of what influenced my own views as I expressed in Woke Inc. and elsewhere that that's actually one of the underappreciated roles of capitalism in America is that, yes, we know it's this great economic engine, but when we live in this deeply divided, polarized moment, one of the reasons why is that when we've politicized the spheres of our lives, including commerce even, that we're supposed to be apolitical, we lose that sense of common cause, right? We lose the sense of what can bind us together. If there's no space where, be it a baseball stadium, be it a workplace, be it a football stadium, where we can come together where politics isn't there, if we lose those apolitical sanctuaries, that, that I think is one of the dangers to the American experiment. And it's part of why I've been so passionate in my crusade against you know, woke capitalism is not only because I disagree with the ideology that it's pushing, but I think that it is the the single greatest risk to cohesion is losing the apolitical spaces in American capitalism and elsewhere that hold us together. Yeah, and I would say to you that I think there are some spaces in America that have become very political. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I'm thinking about America's public school classrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, And we as an organization have gotten more involved in school board races. That's a great example, yep. Right, and and we're being accused right now, it's always, you know, well, you're you're getting political. Well, you know, we had Ali Best Stuckey speak at our summit. And she said, politics matters because policies matter because people matter. Mm-hmm. 
And I just have, that has echoed in my mind since then, right? Because during COVID especially, I think people saw that the policies that were in place were hurting people. Totally. And then they said, well, we need to have better policies. And how do you get better policies? Well, you elect better, better people. people. Right, in the school board. Right? So, so I think that I, I take an all of the above view on reform in the schools. And I have, I have a couple of, uh, in, it was a conversation I had earlier today after my speech that reminded me to want to share this with you to the extent you're not already um, living and breathing it, a legal theory, which I'd like to share with you to bring into the schools. But, okay. but I take an all of the above approach where I think that, yes, the people matter and on the school board frontier, but one of the areas where I'm focused, and maybe naturally because I'm running a presidential campaign, I'm focusing on what a president of the United States can do, is also revealing some of the invisible forces that create this behind the scenes. I mean, you guys will know this, but not a lot of people are aware of the role that the U.S. Department of Education plays in actually creating the toxic ideologies that you see now permeating our schools. So it's not just the bad school board members, it's the fact that they're responding to an incentive structure where if you want to get money from the federal government, that money turns into strings. You know, real, real handcuffs, yeah. really. Really, it's not just strings. They, 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 make, they make handcuffs out of that string. And so as a condition for taking that money, you then have to bend the knee to whatever orthodoxy comes from on high. So sure. there's no silver bullet, right? The president of the United States, I mean, that's what I'm running for, can't solve this problem unilaterally, but everyone has their role to play. In my case, it'll be shutting down the Department of Education in the case of, of concerned parents across this country, replacing school boards and even principals and bringing affirmative agendas to those schools, I think is, is the role to play. But I'm, I'm a big fan of the all of the above approach and then bringing you know, litigation where necessary to actually pursue legal violations as they exist, which is also a passion area of mine. Yeah, so you speak about litigation. There are a couple cases that have been um, decided recently where parents uh, have found out that their child was put into a, a social gender transition program at the school behind closed doors. Unbelievable. I will show you six pages of forms that a child, a counselor, a teacher sat and filled out uh, where uh, the child was asked uh, what name... Oh, what name would you like to use at school? What name should we use with your parents? Um, like, except it's setting up a bifurcation between the two. Completely. Double, a double life. What bathroom would you like to use? What pronouns do you want to use? When you go on overnight field trips, would you like to room? Which sex would you like to room with? Unbelievable. Yeah. And so the parents found out. They sued the school. Uh, the two cases that I'm aware of, uh, they've lost the case. The, the court didn't dispute any of the facts, but they said that it didn't shock the conscience. Hmm. And so what does that mean? You know, explain to us maybe what that means to you. Shock, why, would, why would government doing that to parents not shock the conscience of the court? Well, I also want to learn more about that case because yeah, shocking no, I don't the wanna... No, 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 but, but I'm saying this because something that I'm hearing there is also bothersome to me is it's not the court's job to decide whether it shocks the conscience or not. Right. That's for the voter to decide. The value of the, the court's, parent. The court's right? job is to decide what the, what the law says about what a parent actually has dominion over as it relates to their child's upbringing and education. So sure. that, that makes me curious about those judges and you're, 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 I'll bring you're that, getting I'll me a little fired stuff. up about this. Yeah, I'm going yeah, I'm I'm to learn about that. So They're both appealing the cases. It's First Circuit, 11th Circuit. So, so, so here's, here's, here's a theory I would offer on that. It's, it actually was something I first published in Woke Inc., but I've since 
tried to popularize for people to be able to use this theory is a lot of what you're seeing can actually constitute a civil rights violation or an establishment clause violation. And I'll tell you what I mean by this is, let's take the civil rights version of this. So the Civil Rights Act have a religion prong to them, saying that you can't discriminate on the basis of religion. But actually, and this is what I'm about to tell you is just black letter law, it says that not only does that mean you can't discriminate against an employee, say a teacher here, on the basis of a religion, but it also means that you can't force an employee to bow down to that religion. So it applies to teachers as employees, but it also applies, there's an analogy as it applies to establishing religion in schools. Sure. So the question is whether this woke ideology meets the Supreme Court's test for what counts as a religion. Right. And it turns out the Supreme Court has long held that secular humanism counts as a religion, mm. that this, you know, there's a lot of funny religions. There's one called onion head, one called creativity. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a whole body of case law. Right. But there's these like really, really quirky sure, belief I, systems that count as religions okay. for, for this Title VII purposes. But if those things count as religion, then what you see in the case of modern gender ideology, oh, for, what yeah. you see in, in this, in the, see in the case of sort of modern critical race narratives and race-based wokeism, yeah. these meet the Supreme Court's test to a T. And that means these are some of the largest scale civil rights violations and even religious establishment clause violations that we've seen in modern American history. Yeah. That's actually a legal theory that I'd like to see more people pursuing. We're working on it. Because <laughs> you don't need new laws for that. Yeah. Right? You can just do that under existing laws as they stand, even though there's a, there, there's a time and place for new policies too. So you should litigation, know. I think, is underutilized. Yeah, uh, but you should know. I just I think it's a good thing for you to understand. There are public interest law firms that are doing amazing work right now, part, trying to partner with parent organizations and parents and trying to help these parents in these different cases to try to move us forward. And so who's doing the best work? I'm just kidding. Um, Southeastern Legal Foundation, um, Alliance uh, Defending Freedom. Okay. Um, America First Legal has actually taken some bold steps um, and um, has been very alert about the People Protection Rights Act that the Biden administration right now is thinking about. Um, uh, ADF, so, so ADF, ADF, America First Legal, Southeastern Legal Foundation, Wisconsin Liberty and Law, Goldwater, um, Advancing American Freedom. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm going to miss somebody, and I'm going to be what so was the last sad one? Afterwards. Wisconsin Liberty Alliance, and then Liberty and Law. Wait, we'll and, get these from you later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'll give you a list yeah. more. And if I forgot you, and you're because I just think litigation is. I promise you, I will give you an underappreciated list. lever and. You know, I'm on a presidential campaign. I'm not supposed to focus on other stuff that's a different track. But honestly, this is an, an important I just want you to know that, that it's really good to. for donors to know right now in America where the fight is. That's exactly right. And, yeah. and I think, right, you know, I watch, I, I've gone to some of these, these policy meetings and amazing people, and there's so much potential. But it's like with the ESG stuff, they're getting it. And then I'll go into an education space and it's, we're just, we're behind. That's right. Well, I, I think, I think that, I just think seeing it, I, I'm just big on this theme as actually seeing it as a religion. I know we'd rather call it a cult, but I call it a religion because that has actually legal consequences associated with it. And, and I, I said it on stage earlier today, you were in my, you were in my, in, in my speech. I, I was listening. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, I mean, one of the points I made was just take some of the logical premises here. On one hand, you have to accept for gay rights to count as civil rights that the sex of the person you're attracted to is hardwired on the day you're born. Right. While literally at the same time, 
espousing the belief that your own biological sex is completely fluid over the course of your life. The, you, you, you can't believe both of these things at once, and if anything, you would believe the reverse, right? right. But, but if, if you if say you that, then you're labeled what? Transphobic, misogynistic, right. bigoted. Right, and then struggle session, maybe. Exactly. Drag that? you on yeah, Twitter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. struggle session. <laughs> so, 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 but we, but, but I, think, I think that reason, just like raw logic, couldn't hold. So if, if, you, if you espouse a belief for something, for, for some reason other than logic, right. that's good indication that you're talking about it sort of religious conviction. And then you take the idea that gender dysphoria is a painful condition oh, of yeah. suffering yeah. for a tiny number of people. And this movement was born on the premise of having, you know, maybe it starts from a good place, having empathy towards the very rare one in uh, many, many tens of thousands of number, hundreds of thousands of number, a person who actually suffers from you know, true gender dysphoria. Right. Okay, if that was the case, though, then why at the same time would you be going out of your way to create more of that very form of suffering? I don't, and I'll, and I'll, so this is in my mind, I'm a mom, I have four kids. And I think about any mental distress that my child would be in. Like if my daughter was, yeah. like my daughter is not anorexic, but if she was, let's just it's think painful. about that. Well, but think about it. Is there any other mental illness as a parent that you would lean into? And you'd be like, you know, and if they said, and you'd say, oh yeah, you know, okay, let's go get you lap band surgery. Or if the child said, well, I'm going to kill myself if you don't let me not eat or whatever. Mm -hmm. You would never you know, lean into the anorexia, you would try to get your child help. But yet in exactly. this instance, it's like exactly. we lean into it rather than trying to see I mean, what's first, really going the first, on. Exactly. Thank you for saying that. I mean, the first question we got to ask, somebody in school ought to ask, is what's going wrong at home? Is something wrong at home? Is something wrong in the classroom? What's going on with the other kids? What's going on in your life that would make you think that you're satisfying your hunger for purpose by... But if they're going to ask that question, Vivek, they today, have to have the parent there. Yeah. Oh, oh, Do you oh, see what oh, I mean? Oh, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying like if we were just if we were just if we were just doing this in first principles. If I like if we weren't in the modern world we're in, and there's okay. a teacher who who, who you mean says, like just a caring adult who yeah, wasn't, just a caring, we didn't have just to worry like, with yeah, like, like a, a neighbor or, or whatever, right? Like I'm just saying like imagine like 1990s when I was back in school, she, right? Yes, got and like, it. And like I go to my I go to my friends. You know, house and the and the neighbor's mom and is is looking after us playing, and I, I say, right. oh, I think, I think I'm actually a girl. I just think the first question should be not how do we go out of our way to allow you to <laughs> affirm your gender, yeah. but actually figure out what what else is what's going wrong actually, yeah. and actually help a kid who might be in need of help that we're not able to give them because we've fallen prey to this ideology that says that the affirmation of that whim is the end-all, be-all of what the role of an adult is, let alone now then going to the next level of actually adults creating that very doubt in the minds of, of young children. Yeah. So right? Heritage Foundation, you met Bill Berg, Chris, Chris Elston yeah. just before. Heritage Foundation has done excellent work. There's a man, Dr. Jay Richards, who has worked to bring people together around this issue, and um, he would be a wonderful person for you to talk to about that. Um, so you said a couple things today. Uh, you said you want to shut down the FBI. I have yep. more experience with the FBI than I ever wanted to have in my life. Really? Sure do. Tell me about that. Okay. 
so our moms speak at school board meetings because you have the right to speak at a school board meeting. And not every time you speak at a school board meeting do you need to, you know, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. We've okay, got so this is the story that I'm familiar with. I didn't know that this was you. Okay, got, you. It, got, yes. it, got it, got it, got Thank it. Thank you, sure is. Good for you. Not me personally, that. yeah. Okay. But no, we're honest. I mean, we, I, I went to the Judiciary Committee and I, you know, members and I said, you know, I need to make you aware you know, the FBI field office contacted a mom who'd spoken at a school board meeting. Um, and we've been really honest about it. Um, and the FBI was really nice. I mean, don't get me wrong. They weren't like, I know. That, but I mean, you know, it wasn't that they, you know, came, they got a phone call that they asked about, uh, do you have a history of mental health issues? Do you have firearms? Um, and then they also uh, said that it, they shouldn't share that they had been called. Oh, and I was like, oh, we're going to tell him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, we're, we're going to tell him. Oh, and then yeah. I proceeded to have, like, you know, a I mean, statement. This is a corrupt institution. What's going on right now? This How could they weaponize the Patriot Act against parents like that? Like, well, I don't understand. It's because, actually, I mean, the deeper story is the FBI has just been doing this for 60 years. Oh. Right? This is, I mean, they still go into work at the J. Edgar Hoover building in Washington, D.C. And so the funny thing is, I mean, there have been periods in American history where the left has been incensed about the existence of the FBI and believes it needs to be shut down because it's been a cancerous bureaucracy weaponized against Martin Luther King and, and other civil rights activists under J. Edgar Hoover himself. Now you're seeing what's going on on the right is incensed about it. But actually the funny thing is if you take the whole period between 1960 to today and you just pretended like that was like one big time span, yeah. it's actually a, a bipartisan issue. Yeah. The FBI is a corrupt institution oh. that views elected officials in this country as puppets, as inconveniences, as the arbiters of who ought to rule in this country and is unwilling and is unabashed about using their own power to help tilt the scales of making that happen. That's a corrupt institution. It is. And I think, I think there's, some, there's some things about institutions that you know, need some reform, you put a good reformer who sits on top and delivers reform. But when a managerial cancer, multi-decade cancer runs so deep, it becomes a part of the culture of that bureaucracy itself. I think the only answer left is to shut it down. Okay. And in the case of the FBI, just be really honest about this, live in a country, you need somebody enforcing the federal laws. Create something new to take its place, but it's got to be built from scratch. Take the keys to the J. Edgar Hoover building, throw it in the Potomac mm -hmm. River, shut it down, and never come back and build it from scratch. Now, the DOE, Department of Education, I feel differently. There you shut it down, it stays shut down because the Department, of, Federal Department of Education had no business existing in the first place, right? Yeah. So there's no reason we should have a Federal Department of Education. That one, shut it down and keep it shut down. Follow up with me about that because I can show you... Um, exactly what happened and what could, I've really been looking at what could have stopped what happened. There were some things that were done, but because they weren't done in a certain way, mm -hmm. um, we just allowed this rot to continue. So, That's right. um, thank you for speaking with me. I'm really excited to learn with you. Let's about, learn together. Yeah, like about, no, seriously. I I'm, would love that. I'm very excited to like, I want to see what you think is important today. And I, I want to learn and I want to be able to share that with people because I think there are people that really need to understand that we are in a fight for our country right now. And, you know, the thing I'll leave for you for next time as a, as a bridge to think about is I think what's going on with the climate religion What's going on yeah, with critical race theory? We'll talk about that sometime. But what's going on with gender ideology? And all of this relates to yeah. actually polluting the minds of the next generation of Americans to actually hate the American way. Yep. They're linked. And I think it relates to this broader lack of purpose mm -hmm. 
mm. in America and the broader lack of purpose in the next generation of young Americans. And so I just think that's where... That's, that, why that's why parents are fighting because we have a lot of purpose. Exactly, exactly. And if we can, if we can, if we can impart that to the, to our kids and the next generation, I think, I think that's going to be the keys to the kingdom. I think Moms for Liberty is really working to do that. So I love thank what you, you guys are doing. Thank you. So, so we're joyful warriors because we're going to fight like heck with a yeah, smile on exactly. our face. I like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so we so more. You're a joyful warrior with I'm us. I'm a joyful thank warrior you. with you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Good to be on. Thanks. <laughs> 